0: Hey, this episode of Bass Freaks is brought to you by MXR Bass Innovations. MXR has been a leader in guitar effects for over 45 years. MXR Bass Innovations creates bass effects pedals from the ground up, each one specifically designed for bass players by bass players. Not repurposed guitar pedals, but their overdrive, fuzz, EQ, preamp DI, octave, distortion, compressor, or chorus, these tried and true stomp boxes are designed by Dunlop's award winning team of bassists and engineers. Go to jimdunlop.com and check out MXR Bass Innovations for your bass effects. Hello my friends and welcome to Bass Freaks presented by Dunlop. Are you a bass freak? Because if so, You're in the right place. This is a spot for us bass players to chat it up and have some fun, inspire one another. I'm your host, Josh Paul, and today we have a very special guest, Mr. Brian Beller. You may know him from his very own band, Aristocrat band, Uh, Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, many, many,
1: many others. How are you, bro? I'm doing good. I I, I like that I just learned that the name of this uh, podcast was Bass Freaks. I didn't know Freak. that until just now i'm even <laughs> really? more i'm even more excited than I already was
0: I guess I forgot to tell you that one yeah. Sorry
1: about that. we are base freaks, I guess yeah it's true how's everything my brother it's good man you know i mean you know of course we're all we're all used to you know the last year the way it's been you know stay, a lot of a lot of staying at home not as much traveling for for either of us uh yes. but uh lots of opportunities to kind of level up the the home studio and do some more recordings and connect with people that we you know we're always moving too fast especially for road guys and uh and all that stuff so it's 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 been a really good learning experience that said i'm ready for it to be over
0: (laughs) i am with you one billion percent right (laughs) so before we we get into the uh the meat um
1: Tell me about some of your history and how you started playing. Oh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I started as a piano player. Uh, oh, really? I was taking classical piano lessons. I was real young, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten. And uh, I don't have the greatest origin story for becoming a bass player, but I love playing bass now. And it, it, what, the way it started was my parents were like, OK, well, you got to join the school orchestra. I'm like, I don't know if I really want to join your school orchestra, and they're like, "But you have to join the school orchestra. <laughs> you're you're ten. You don't know how to say no." So <laughs> I decided, in my obnoxious wisdom, to just choose the the biggest pain in the ass instrument that I could possibly choose, and so maybe they'd like change their mind. And which, of course, is the acoustic bass. Who's gonna want to lug this thing around, right? And so you know, there I am in the orchestra playing like Ina Klein and Oct Music and all the all the classical classics. Uh, and when I turned 13, uh, I heard the Stray Cats for the first time. Uh, it was a, a rockabilly band that was led by Brian yeah. Setzer for those yeah. out there who don't know, maybe uh, younger folks. And, uh, and they had an acoustic bass player who was like, you know, doing like the classic. I'm like, finally, something cool on acoustic bass. So I got, I grabbed my acoustic bass and I started playing it. I played it for an hour. Over and over again. And then I looked at my hands and they were completely destroyed. Oh. Like just ripped to shreds, like blisters and half bleed. I'm like. This is awful. So, so then, I, <laughs> then then I picked up an electric bass and I was like, this is this is what right? that that bass sounds amazing. What is that? Oh, thank you. This is a Mike Lowell Modern five. Uh, it's a it's a five string active jazz bass, uh, ash body with a with a maple top and a maple fingerboard. And uh, Seymour Duncan 6770 pickups and uh, an original uh, Bartolini NTMB uh, preamp, and uh, it, and it's uh, it's essentially the instrument that I, I've been playing as my as my number one for like 20 years. Not your go-to? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like I have another one that, I, that I'll that I'll show you later, but but yeah. So just to wrap up that story, I was just like, hey, playing electric is way easier than playing upright. So I mean, the really really stupid thing is is that it's the Stray Cats that inspired me to start playing electric bass. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right though i mean the
0: way he plays it's wild yeah. you're up there and he's a rock star yeah yeah i know Just with standing on the thing the and all that, that all
1: thing. that stuff that he did that that was yeah. nuts
0: amazing i love it so um, so yeah
1: i ended up going to berkeley college of music eventually and so i you know i i, I was taking private lessons in high school and and i'm a, I'm a school guy you know I, I went i finished four years at berkeley and then uh and then I, the first gig that I got was with Dweezil Zappa back in 1993, and I was 22, and Ooh. so I instantly was kind of like thrown into this world of like, oh, oh, this technical playing, which was weird because I'm not, I wasn't really training to be a technical player. I wasn't like studying Billy Sheehan and Stu Hamm, you know, the kind of the chops guys at the time. Yeah, I was more into like John Paul Jones and Flea and and just kind of the groove, you know, basic rock thing. Uh, you know, I had to level up and just get with it because those were the gigs I started getting. So what? Uh, that's
0: that's very cool and interesting. But how did you get from from? So I know you were a, a school guy, going to Berkeley and everything, but to jump into that gig was that your first one?
1: Yeah, that was my first professional gig, and I and wow. it's all because of a drummer named Joe Travers, uh, who okay. was at Berkeley with me and was a huge, huge Frank Zappa fan and it was all he would i mean he liked a lot of different music but he was really into Frank he, anybody who knew him knew that about him it was all he would talk about and he was it was his dream to be Frank Zappa's next drummer uh and this was 1989 90 and he had just Frank had just finished touring with the 88 band and then uh you know Joe gets done with Berkeley at 91 and Frank is sick already he's got cancer and he's probably not going to be touring anymore so joe is i remember this he, he told everybody including me he said i'm gonna go to los angeles and i'm gonna i'm gonna get the dweezil zappa gig you know dweezil zappa had a genre at the time it was josh freese it was oh, 18 josh was, year old josh oh, wow. Fries. that was his first gig i think pretty sure and, i didn't know he played with dweezil okay. yeah way way back uh you know in like 88 89 and 90 and uh and so uh, Joe tried to convince me to come to LA with him and I hadn't even finished school yet and I was like I I, I can't go I, I don't have I haven't finished school. He's like you idiot that doesn't matter. Just leave. <laughs> and I'm like I can't do that. My parents will kill me. <laughs> oh. And so he went to Berk. I mean he went to Los Angeles. And then 6 months later he called me and he was just like I have an audition with Dweezil. And then uh, a couple of days later he's like I got the gig. And I'm like what? You're a god. How'd you do that? <laughs> Everybody back in Boston, Berkeley was like, did he really just do that? Like call a shot and then just do it. And it turned out that six months later, the base slot, you know, became available. And uh, and I I got an audition. He got me an audition and I passed it. And then I moved to L.A. immediately. And that's how it started.
0: That's so, you know, relationships, man. Yeah. That's such a huge part of what we do in maintaining relationships. And um, I mean, you know, in life itself, but especially in our. Business. Well, the- um, probably not knowing him, you you would have never played with him and opened up all these other doors.
1: Yeah. Well, we played together at Berkeley. We were having a great time as a rhythm section at Berkeley, and we were we were you know, it's fun. It's like the world's greatest cover band machine because everybody wants to play, no one wants needs to get paid. Because everybody just wants to get out there. And so if you were willing to lead a show, you could play anything you want. We would do these shows where, you know, there'd be a bunch of Chili Peppers tunes and Fishbone tunes and Living Color. And I was like, I was really into that whole scene at that time. You know, like yeah, Fishbone's Reality in My Surroundings album and oh, Living yeah. Color's Time's Up and and uh, Chili Peppers' Mother's Milk and Blood Sugar Sex Magic. I mean, like the really the great shit of that era. Uh, we are as well the same as things man yeah, yeah right <laughs> so uh so it was really really fun to just be able to get up there and rock out and and play that stuff and and i loved playing with joe and and yeah you know how that is when you meet a couple of people you you end up keeping in touch and is essentially our music i mean our our business is kind of the music business it's like a social thing how's yeah, anybody sure. even gonna how are you gonna get called if you don't have people to call you how are you going to get called if you don't have friends or people that you hang with or associates? There's a there's a social element to it, which is not easy, I think, for a lot of people who are musicians. There's a lot of introverts out there and people who might be socially awkward, you know, just going to a gig just to make the hang, you know, and and yeah. see some people and let them know that you're around and that whole thing. That's not easy for everybody. That's not easy for me. Uh but it's part of it. Yeah, it definitely is. But I think it is easier now with social media
0: and so many different platforms to get your talent out and music and so i think that's uh one of the pros of of all of that
1: stuff no Um, i agree i mean like for example like just me talking to you like i i'd seen you all over social media you know i think mostly because of our link through galleon kruger uh, yeah, you know, there was some shared videos there and, and the, the algorithm goes, Oh, these guys must want to know each other, you know, or, you know, <laughs> and we so, do yeah, exactly. Right. So, but, but this is the first time that we've actually had a, a face to face, uh, in person, you know, conversation really is, is around this. So there's a connection that like you used to have it. to go to in person to make, and now it doesn't have to be. Right. I would have asked for your number and you right. would have said, what? Who? <laughs>
0: Hell sure. no. I'd have been scared of you with all those tattoos and shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so from Dweezil, what came next? Well, in Dweezil's band was another uh, amazing artist named Mike Keneally, who Ooh, was a, a guitarist him. and vocalist and keyboardist who played in Frank Zappa's 1988 touring band. And uh, And so Mike had his own music that he was making at the time. And I really, really loved it. It was just... A crazy combination of like, you know, Frank stuff and then like XTC Beatles world and then also like super heavy progressive like Gentle Giant and Yes and some other stuff and then just Weirdo Fusion. Uh, It was just a a, a very, very eclectic combination of influences and a really, really unique artistry. And uh, it was a great opportunity for me to play weird music, stuff that's way outside the mainstream, but wasn't shreddy. Uh, which was like right up my alley. So uh, we ended up leaving Dweezil's band together. And then I ended up playing, I've been playing with him, you know, on and off for 25 years and all sorts of things. We played together in Joe Satriani's band. Uh, We played together in Death Clock when that was a thing. You know, the the Brendan Smalls, you know, the Metalocalypse uh, cartoon thing. Uh, He was in that as well. And uh, he was in Steve Vai's band before I was. And he has his own project and he's played on my solo albums. So, We've just done a million things together. So that that was the next. And then it led to some recordings with Vi and some other, you know, some other stuff. Uh, I did some records for James Labrie. Uh, oh, not uh, Dream the, Theater. The lead right? singer of Dream Theater. But yeah. really, uh, and I'll, I'll try and keep this short. You know, I didn't know how to make money as a musician. <laughs> not really. And I went broke. Yeah. And so I, I got a job at an amplifier company called SWR. Uh, which doesn't exist anymore, but uh, at the time it was like, you know, I was already playing and endorsing their stuff and I really liked it. And and so I worked for them for eight years and like I got more and more into the corporate side and I met a lot of great people inside the MI industry and learned a lot, a lot that I really needed to know. But then, you know, by 2005 I was 34 and, and I realized I was like getting really kind of far away from playing and I just, I just turned the Apple card over and I was like, nah, that's it, I'm going back to playing. And so, uh, it's a good thing you did. Yeah, I started over at at 34. And then eventually, after that, was the Vi touring. And then the Aristocrats with Guthrie Govan and Marco Miniman, uh, our trio that started in 2011. Uh, The Death Clock stuff was mostly 2009, 10, and 11. And then uh, I joined Joe Joe Satriani's band, his live band, in 2013. Okay. And that's currently or whenever touring uh, begins again? When touring resumes, Joe Satriani's right on deck, because we finished a touring cycle with the aristocrats. We got really lucky. We did North America summer 2019, and then we did Uh Europe fall and winter 2020. And our our European tour finished on March 6, 2020. You know, we know these dates. Now we all know these dates, you know, and everything. It's weird. and Joe Satriani's Hundred City World Tour was supposed to start in April of 2020. And of course, the whole thing was completely wiped off the map. So, Dude. you know, when touring resumes, that's that's where we're going to pick up. OK, well, you got that to look forward
0: to, and, and so do all of the people going to those shows. I would love to see it myself. Um, what kind of gear are you using? What's your, we talked a little bit about your bass.
1: Yeah, uh, well, you know, it's this this instrument, this uh, this Michael Modern Five. Uh, this has been my go-to for a while, just for this. You know, it's really bright and it can be clean and sweet. Or if you get on it, you know, you can you can really make it uh, uh, bark and spank and stuff. And then I also because it's got that maple fingerboard and the and the and the maple top and the ash body. I mean, it's just a brightness machine. If you kick on overdrive. So, you know, if you if you finger attack, and you know how that goes, you let your finger kind of like chime against the string because I'm not really a pick guy. So, if I want to get that aggressive attack, you just kind of let your finger you know, chink it a little bit. And then if you turn on the overdrive, I feel like this bass does that thing really, really well, uh, and you know, especially if you start kicking on effects. I mean, like you know, here is an overdrive and an octave. This is uh, a. I think I already may have said the s word, but can we curse on these things or should we not? Um, maybe not, huh? Let's yeah, let's. Let's not. Okay, so the only not. reason I say that is because the title of this Aristocrat song has a curse word in it. So oh, just, say it. just so I say, say it. Say The Come name on. of the song is called D Grade F Movie Jam. All right. And it, it's, okay. uh, it's got this lick in, in nine. Uh... It's like one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And just the, there's something about this instrument where it can be really smooth and clean and still give you all that grit that uh, i've always i've always really it's
0: filthy that tone and that riff are just filthy
1: what uh what overdrive is that this is an exotic effects base bb preamp and uh i've i've used it i've had this same one it's and to be really specific it's the older pcb which they only made for the first couple years before they changed it and so I've, i've got a couple of old ones And I find it reacts really, really well and organically to finger attack. It also does this thing great. Like, uh, it just reacts with the uh, Dunlop bass while really well. So like, there's this other song on my solo album, Scenes from the Flood, called Everything and Nothing, where this is the main melody. Space bass. Right, right? Space, Space bass. Exactly. And it's a dance track. It's like, you know, so sick, dude. So, I love it. I love it's it. It's really silly when you think about it, but I mean, you know, you got to have fun with this stuff. So, yeah. this this is my main thing. And then for amplification, uh, we both use uh, Gallien Kruger, right? We're uh,
0: twinsies on that end. That's
1: right. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll use an MB Fusion, uh, which is one of their small, lightweight heads. I use it as a preamp and then i run that tone into uh, a, two uh rb 2001s which is their biggest amplifier and then each one of those 2001s ideally will go into two uh, uh 410s the rbh 410s okay. or the cx 410s and so uh yeah my my perfect rig on stage is four 410s two of those big power amps and then the preamp that drives everything and so big. a bunch of pedal yeah i mean you know how yeah. it goes There's, you gotta feel it right yeah exactly yeah. and and it's not so that you could destroy the stage with low end it's so that you have headroom you know so that you can really feel the dynamics of your finger touch on the string
0: regardless exactly. of the fact
1: that it's you know 110 db of of ambient noise flying around the venue you know you still need to be able to deliver consistent attack and tone and not get into that thing where you're playing too hard just to be heard yeah, when you do that, then you've really lost the plot.
0: It's so it's somewhat difficult as well using in ears because um, I was never a fan of in ears, and as mm-hmm. bass players, you know, it's a little bit difficult to get used to them. But being able to um, judge the feel and your touch through the in ears is it's a fine line I've I've found.
1: Right, I mean, so you know, there's a thing where let me know if you've experienced this. You've got the in ears right, and you have some. Rig on stage with you, right? Yeah. So if you're near the rig, then you're getting the boom and you're getting the feeling, and then you've got that definition in your in ears, and that can be really cool. Like, yeah, that can be great. But of course, you know, you're not going to stand in front of your rig unless it's like unless there's a big production in front of you and there's dancers and everything, and the bass player just stands in their space. And those those gigs are out there. But yep. in, if you're moving around, then you're moving away from the rig, and suddenly you've got just the in ears, right? And not nearly as much low end punch and your fingers don't quite feel the same when you're hitting the strings and you know the only way to get around that is like to place a sub maybe you know uh closer to the front of the stage so if you got to go upstage, stage you could feel it up there uh yeah and then the singers complain yep <laughs> See, the, tr- the trick is to be in a band that doesn't have a singer <laughs> damn singers
0: <laughs> um, how about how about drums? I used to be a drummer. I was a drummer first. Oh, cool! And uh, I, I definitely feel that it has helped me as a bass player. Um, the relationship obviously is is very close. Do you have any
1: favorite drummers? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I I mean the drummers I grew up listening. I learned how to groove and how to play basically by playing along with Led Zeppelin records. So it was just all John Bonham for me. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, just uh, it it, it just gets deeper and deeper every year you're alive and you go back to those recordings. And especially with some of the live stuff that comes out, you just hear how insanely good he was. Yeah. I mean, just everything we know about modern rock from a rhythm section standpoint really starts with him. Imagine just having that kind of impact on music. It's just crazy. Well, and I
0: I don't know,
1: but I'm guessing that he didn't even think about that. Um, right. Oh, playing. sure. Yeah the, yeah. the the real genius is, it never occurs to them that they're doing something groundbreaking. Right? Right. They're just like, yeah. oh, yeah, well, I, I just do this. So, <laughs> you know.
0: You know, I, I uh, admire that you are an educator. You're a teacher. I can tell, even just having short conversations with you, that you do a lot of teaching. Um, for me, you know, I sometimes feel like, oh, well, I just... I just play man i just do this and then i forget no dude you got to show me exactly what you're doing mm-hmm. you know take a few steps back so how do you
1: when you're teaching how do you approach that or do you ever even encounter that uh you know i do and it's been interesting i actually prefer groups small groups okay. to one-on-ones you know uh one-on-ones can be rewarding uh but you know, I've been doing a lot of the one-on-ones kind of like on video and there, there is a limit to how good that can get unless yeah. you're in the same Amen. room as the person and you you actually can touch their hands. And cause I, I'm, I, you know, I wouldn't think that anybody would, I don't mean to be like, uh, you know, overly humble or anything, but like, like I said, I'm not a technique driven player. So I wouldn't expect somebody coming to me to be like, teach me how to play fast, you know, cause that's not my thing. But if they want to learn about like why, Certain tones can be good and how your finger and your hand attack uh, can affect that sort of stuff and what kind of choices you want to make in, in certain situations. I think I have a lot to offer, but it's hard over video. You know, Yes, it's been working. I've been getting better at it, but but it, 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 it definitely is a bit of a challenge uh, in the group environment. I find that sometimes uh, students learn more from the other student learning something
0: that makes in sense. front
1: of them. Then they will encounter in a one-on-one uh, communication in a private lesson just because there's, it's hard to explain, but there's, there's some kind of like personal identity stuff that goes along with a one-on-one conversation that when you're in a group, you can kind of reach a breakthrough in a different way. You can kind of get around your own barriers and preconceived notions of the way you think things should be when you watch somebody else go through it. So I like doing clinics and when there's like a small group, uh, yeah. but of course, you know, I mean, educating is the kind of highest art that we have because a lot of people are coming to shows. I mean, people who just want to be entertained and come to shows. They come watch a show. It's great. Yeah. But if a musician's coming to a show because they want to check out the people who are playing, I mean, that's an educational thing right there. They're wanting to kind of learn something and we don't realize how much we know just by having the fortunate experience the truly blessed experience of playing professional gigs and going on tours because there's things that you only learn as a musician after you've done the same show 50 times right and how do you translate that experience to someone who's never had that there are things that you learn so you just try and go back and and think about all the little things that you pick up along the way because there's always something that you don't realize that you know that other oh, people yes. don't know.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. So you are you uh predominantly a touring guy or do you do quite a bit of session work?
1: Mostly touring. I mean uh certainly ever since twenty thirteen uh with uh Joe Satriani, obviously was already a world touring act when I joined that band, but the aristocrats only started in two thousand eleven and I of course we all had, you know, wanted it to succeed, but I don't think we ever really imagined that we would be doing 120 shows around the world. Every single time we put out a record, it's your own thing. It's it's right, and it's our own band, right? So, between those two acts, trying to put those two touring cycles, and then of course the in-between touring, making the record to support the tour, or the tour to support the record, depending on how you look at it. These days, uh, you know, that's that was enough. There, I would do some sessions for people when I was back home off of tours, but like it I, I remember I would feel pretty exhausted after a cycle was over and I definitely needed some time to recover. So I wasn't out there kind of chasing or, or working it for session gigs. And then of course, as you know, that's self-reinforcing. People start to know you as a touring guy as opposed yes. to a session yeah. guy. And then yeah. that happens. And, you know, as long as as long as you're touring all the time and and it works out financially for your lifestyle, then great. Uh then COVID happened. <laughs> and, <laughs> and suddenly the touring guys are looking at the session guys like, oh, right, right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, But, I you feel know, that. I, I've I had the that.
1: opportunity to do more sessions, certainly a lot more uh, than uh, I would have if I was on a regular touring cycle. And it's been great. There's been a lot of cool artists that I've gotten to know uh, over the past year. Well,
0: that's one of the uh, pros. I guess you can say, yeah, of all of this. Yeah, um, there have been a few. I've been creating a ton. Have you been writing any music or: You know, No. Uh,
1: okay. I mean, you know I know that for this time period, this is a great opportunity for a lot of people to kind of write that record, They make the demos and actually spend the time writing, going through the process that they always wanted to make, but life was just going too fast. and i applaud every single person who's going through that process right now because i know a lot of people are uh i kind of went through it myself in 2017 when i uh, had been on the road for almost five years straight and i just i knew i had this double concept uh this this double album this uh, solo album it was kind of a progressive concept album i had 18 songs in my head and they're just floating around up there and i was dying to get them out of my head like they were almost fully formed. It was really weird, and so I just took a year off, 2017, and did nothing but demo them. And then oh, in 2018, wow. okay. I I did some touring and tracked them. And then in 2019, I released that double album, and it was called Scenes from the Flood. And uh, I'm really can you really can that
0: out. Can people get that? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. People can check that out. You know, if you go to my website, com, there's a there's a shop link, and it'll it'll show you where you can get it from my own web stores or Bandcamp or, you know, iTunes and it's streaming to, you know, it's, it's everywhere. Uh Very cool. And uh so, yeah, so I kind of did it. And then now suddenly there's this big open time where, you know, we're not, and I just found instead of going back and, and writing again, I just, I've been going slower.
0: Okay. Like I've just been That's doing good. a little That's healthy.
1: less and, uh and there's been some, Some cool personal life stuff, you know, that's happened as a result of that. There's no room really when you're just going a million miles an hour, uh, you know, touring and all the rest of that stuff. So I've just smelling smelling the roses a little bit is what's going on. Yeah. And you know what?
0: You're you're building up this whole new record right now with all of these new experiences and feelings. Yeah.
1: But uh, before I, I should mention, uh, you know, while I wasn't writing during these last few months, I was helping to curate uh, a live album for the Aristocrats, which is coming out oh. on May 7. And uh, cool. that's called Freeze Live in Europe 2020. And uh, that basically it's it's a couple of the shows that happened right before lockdown, like a couple oh, weeks before lockdown. That, and so, you know, that if you want to check that out, there's the Aristocrats social media is uh, on Twitter where a Band banned and on Facebook where... Aristocrats band and on, on, on Instagram where the Aristocrats band. I can't remember all, they're all different because there's a lot of aristocrats out there, <laughs> for better or worse. But, but yeah, that's that. And, and I'm really proud of that. I know, uh, you know, Marco and Guthrie and I worked hard on finding kind of the, the cool stuff because we recorded every show. And uh, it's 60 minutes and uh, it's a really good example of kind of what we were doing on stage every night right before lockdown happened. So that's called Freeze Live in Europe 2020, with the Aristocrats everybody make sure you get that um i'm
0: i can't wait for it actually i me to <laughs> hear it when is it coming
1: that's uh may 7. May, may it's uh okay. it's up for pre-order now and if you pre-order you get a, a an instant gratification track called spanish what? eddie
0: you got all the bases covered no um, pun uh, try and try there, it. <laughs> dude so um there are a lot of different types of people in this world um and this goes not only with with, you know, being a musician and different work, but how do you navigate situations when dealing with maybe difficult people in certain situations while on the road?
1: Uh, it's never easy, you yeah. know, because you're there's just you know, when that does happen, you know, you're traveling together. It's like, you know, it's like an instant family in a way. Uh, 24-7. Yeah, all the time. And so, you know, the trick is just to make sure that you know you show up and do your job. If that stuff's going on, try and figure out ways to minimize it. And you know, you you know, I mean, everybody's had that experience. I think who's been on the road, you know, at some point or another. But fortunately, you know, Joe Satriani and the Aristocrats, you know, we they're just organizations that have been you know going for a while now. So we kind of know what our machine, how it works, you know, the best way to make it work. And you know, in the end. People who are repeatedly difficult just kind of flush out of the system, you know. I mean, unless they're the artist and they're making a lot of money, and then that might go on for a while. But yeah, but you know,
0: you
1: you know what I mean. You don't really
0: get to choose, um, just like your family members. When you're out there, you don't get to necessarily choose unless you are doing the hiring or starting the band who you're out there with so say sidemen maybe get out there i don't know who they're going out exactly gonna be on a bus for six months with Mm -hmm. so um i was just curious
1: if you had any tricks that you could uh let everybody in on i think that the secret is to do the same find the the essential things that make your day work which are not that different usually from when you're home to when you're on the road if you Think about it and you identify what they are, you know, eat the right things. Uh, If you're, if you're into physical fitness, make sure you get a moment to work out, you know, and, or, or have that moment, which can be meditational as well. You know, make sure that your sleep cycles are the same. You know, if you uh, are a person who's at home and you, maybe you like kind of go out every once in a while. Uh, but then on the road, like suddenly you're going out every night because everybody's going out every night. And then like, you know, all of a sudden you're exhausted and you're, everything's all weird socially and everything like that. It's like, well, if you were at home, would you be going out every night like that? Of course not. Right. right. So, you know, you don't have to go out every night after the show or, or, or even in the city when you arrive. If you're on a bus and you show up there in the during the you know, overnight drive. Uh, yeah. It's great that you're being paid to be in some city halfway around the world. But, like, you don't have an obligation to, like, go sightseeing every single little place or, like, you've done something <laughs> wrong. Sometimes just relax. You know, your you responsibility know, when you're on the road is to show up and play the show. It's your only responsibility. Truth. Right? So, and like, stay alive. Yeah, and stay alive. As much as possible. Yeah. So, so, so
0: I think what I'm hearing is you're you're trying to create as much um consistency in an inconsistent yeah. situation and in that's atmosphere.
1: exactly right and and okay. you know not everybody's like that i i think that there are people who thrive on having a different experience every day and that's what fuels them and monotony right. would drive them crazy uh and that's one of the reasons they like touring in the first place uh yep i am not that person <laughs>
0: you know what i used to be i used to be i've i've grown up so much even in the last just five years alone yeah um i was a little bit of a wild child before but yeah um i'm a grown up now with kids and a wife and you know
1: this is the best i've ever felt in my whole life yeah i mean you know the thing that you said about you know about people that's going to be true whether you have to go to an office there's always uh, one or co- or more than one, you know, a personal interaction that just the chemistry doesn't work. And you got to figure out a way mm-hmm. to make it work. You know, yeah. nobody's an island. Uh, ideally, you can create a work and personal and family situation where everybody that you interact with all the time, it's all positive and it's all good, you know, and, and I want a pony and a unicorn too. You know, <laughs> that's not how life works. Me too, damn it. Right. You know, <laughs> I want a unicorn, a pony covered with tattoos.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, so it's a great thing that you bring up and it's a big lesson, you know, I think for uh, aspiring musicians as well. You know, there's the whole one of the oldest, uh, you know, tropes in our, in our world is like uh, if you're offered the gig, you know, if the, there's the music, the money and the hang. If two out of three are good, take the gig right uh, and if you know only what
0: say that one more time say yeah that one more
1: time. so when yeah if you're offered a gig right there's the music there's the money and then there's the hang and if two out of three are good take the gig if one out mm. of three are good i don't know <laughs> you know because you know, if, it, if it's just that. for the money and you don't like the music and you don't like the people that's going to get old really really fast if you like the music and there's not a lot of money and the people are weird then eventually the music will get affected if the hang is great but <laughs> the music isn't great and then there's no money then you could do that at home so yeah, man. you're, you're right. right i don't know who came up with that formulation but i like it i, I it too. i didn't come up with it before
0: we move on um do you have a favorite track on that record that's coming out may 7th
1: uh oh god you know uh they're all my favorite. I know they're all yeah, your yeah, babies. How could, you, but... how could you choose, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, I can't choose just one because I'm so close to them. I mean, like, there's only six tracks on the album anyway because they're long. Uh, oh, right. And right, so right, the way right, that okay. it works is that, the way the aristocrats work is that we're all individual songwriters. And so okay. we always, on, on every studio album, there's always three songs from each of us. And then uh, on this live album... That's very we, cool. That's a, that's an interesting way to do it. It was an accident, really. Okay. We You know, we did a show at the NAM show in 2011 and we got a really good response before we were a band or called the Aristocrats. And then we were like, all right, well, let's make a record. How are we going to do it? And then we all suddenly realized that we all had solo albums and we could all make demos. So we're like, let's just try three each. And it ended up being a nice formula. And the our our songwriting chemistry was also uh cool as well as our musical chemistry just from playing live and so once that formula worked once we've done it ever since now on this live album the tracks are longer so we just cut it to two two tracks each and uh my my tracks are d grade f movie jam and another song called the ballad of bonnie and clyde which is this kind of uh you know really it's kind of it's almost like uh you know the song uh sheep by pink floyd yeah yeah. you know from the animals album that whole groove that So, 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 yeah, all the listeners can... th- this is a uh, uh, so this is a, uh, a Michael BB MF five, which stands for uh, Brian Beller's signature But MF is Modern Focus. It's interesting because, you know, oh, I thought the, that meant something else. It, I, right. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it's of course it means modern focus, everybody. Of course it does. <laughs> Get your mind out of the gutter. John. <laughs> that's right. But uh, it interesting. I mean, like when I was playing the other bass, you could hear that basically the, that's a souped up jazz bass. That's what it is. Oh, it's, a, it's an active okay. jazz bass. That's what the other one is. We all know what active jazz basses do. They have that kind of bite. There's a little bit of a scoop uh, in mid somewhere. And then they've got that boom that goes along with it. Uh, mm-hmm. This is totally different. And, uh, you know, I got into this instrument because... Try and do this without losing the microphone timer. Uh, I I was digging the tone that... Uh, you know the band Between the Buried and Me? No. They're like a prog metal band, uh, five guys, really, really talented. Uh, And uh, anyway, they're bass players. was that? From here? From the United States? Yeah, yeah. They're actually, uh, one of them's in Nashville, at least. They're Nashville. They're from North Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I noticed that their bass, and the mixes were like this really thick metal guitars, and there's a lot of activity going on, really busy. And the bass was just like completely cutting like straight through. And it was really clear, even though it wasn't like distorted or anything like that and the bass player's name was Dan Briggs, and and I, I saw the, that he was using a Spectre. And so I wanted to check that out, and so uh, uh, my friends at Spectre sent me this Alex Webster uh, signature Spectre, which has got like the, Alex Webster's the bassist from Cannibal Corpse, and yes. it, so his bass has like blood splattered all over it, you, you can't see it, but that's what I'm holding right here. And I just found that, Of you know mid-rangey modern kind of compressy kind of feel, and it's really it cuts really through. yeah it's, it's 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 hard to explain but it bounces back at you really fast when you play it it's it's it's, it's really nice, and so I love the way this thing sounds and I took it on the road uh, with uh, with Joe Satriani and the Aristocrats for a while, and I kept trying to love the way that it felt but because it's a it's a, a neck through it's not a bolt on like the instruments I've been playing my whole life it just feels a little bit different so what i did was uh hang on i i uh i talked to the guys at Mike Lowell, and i said you know this is an alder body with a maple top and an ebony fingerboard and emg 40dc pickups and an emg bqc preamp and can you can you do this in a bolt on and uh and and that's what the BBMF5 essentially is Yeah, and it does sound different than the Spectre because a, a neck-through can, uh, like can never sound like a bolt-on and a bolt-on can never sound like a neck-through. they are just physical things about it. But, you know, when you've been playing a certain kind of Luthier's DNA uh, band, uh, brand and build for 20 years, you know your, your hands get programmed to a certain extent. Uh, oh, yeah. It's not to say, you know, I couldn't pick up a Fender P and play it, but I really like the way these things feel. So that's what this instrument is, the, the Michael O'Bee 5 Sounds great as well,
0: man. I mean, I know a lot of it is in the fingers, but that bass sounds great. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm I I work much more on tone than I do on technique. It's just Okay. I've always yeah. been more interested uh, sometimes to my detriment in having to pull pull <laughs> stuff off, but uh I, you know, that's just where my interest has lied.
0: Yeah, I feel like um it's it's really a player's sort of choice. Obviously, there are the... I, I like to look at them as the recommended instructions for bass playing. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you can make something sound cool and it works for whatever it is you're doing at that moment, just play, man. Right.
1: And, so. I mean, the sounds of players... I mean, like, you know, we we generally know what John Paul Jones sounds like, what Jocko yes. sounds like, what yes. uh, Victor sounds like, you know, uh, what Billy Sheehan sounds like. What's, you know, I mean... It's the sound that is the instant identifier for us in terms of who an artist is. I mean, even like, you know, like we know what Rage Against the Machine sounds like, right? You know, we just hear it right away, the sound of Zach and the sound of that band. And, you know, these sound identifiers, to me, are much more important and lasting in terms of impact than you know, a scale or a chord progression or, or a melody. I mean, that, all that stuff is important, Absolutely. but just the combination of four individual sounds forming a band or three sounds and, and everybody's individual choice in what sound they make, that's the thing that makes your brain go, oh, I know who that is, that's X. 100%, 100%. Uh,
0: for maybe some young people or maybe some older people starting a band, what, uh, what advice would you give them very first piece of advice
1: i know it's a band. you know it's funny because you know uh with the aristocrats you know i'd been doing sideman gigs ever since i left berkeley like you know i hadn't been in a band since high school like a real (laughs) band where everybody's like you know making decisions together and y'all have to vote on things and everything i mean like Mm -hmm. it's uh the most important thing is uh do you like hanging out with these people and do you have common interests? I think that's before anything. Uh, because if, if, if it's a kind of a weird hang and you're forming a band with that person, that's just not going to work. <laughs> well, you are got to live with them 24-7 yeah. at some yeah. point. And Hopefully. then the next thing is you got to figure out who's doing most of the writing because that ends up being a, a, a very important thing. You know, if your if your writing is balanced, that's actually kind of rare. Usually, a lot of the bands that we know and grew up with, it's actually somebody's singer songwriter project that was named a band. Yeah. <laughs> and then they all just kind of grew up together, and it became a band, and it just it just happened. I mean, usually one person is doing most of the writing. Uh, Dude, that's so true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess you just kind of have to think about <laughs> what it is that you're interested in doing and how balanced it's gonna be. I dig that.
0: All right, we're gonna do rapid fire questions here. Okay, all right? All right. Here we go, are you ready? Yes. Get your hand on the buzzer. Okay. Uh, Text or call? Are you there? Yes. Text or call? Text. Okay, me too. Active or passive? Active. Dunlop strings or Dunlop strings. (laughs) Pass. (laughs) All right, we'll go. We'll go. We'll move on. Uh, Fuzz or overdrive. Overdrive. Okay. Love or money. Love. Yes. Amen to that. Amen to that. Although you know, if someone
1: really did think money, would they say it? (laughs) Uh, You never know. Maybe. Maybe someone with a broken heart yeah because i I, that's what stopped me for a second i was just like love our money i'm like who would answer money i mean like we all (laughs) need money you know or else they'll just come and take the furniture away but uh you know come on i hear you man well um let's see click or no click oh that depends the song will always tell you what to do yeah i mean you know remote recording there better be a click but if you're get, if you're together as a band, this is not uh, rapid fire. But if you're as a, in, together as a band, then I think that you have a decision to make. You know, play it both ways, right? And and, and see what's better. I guess yeah, it's all about feel. Yeah, I, I, agree. I mean, there's a um, whole other conversation about you know how everything is gridded these days, but you know we don't have time for that.
0: <laughs> it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Oh, going back to the lover money thing. So I guess let's talk about this for a second. Mm-hmm. W- What if you're single, love or money? I mean, what do you think? Oh, it's the same calculation,
1: you know? I mean, like, you could, let's just say that you're single and, uh, you know, you go out and you tour and you're doing all the stuff and everything's great and, you know, but like your personal life is a mess because you never stop moving and, you know, it's just, it's just hard to kind of figure out who you even are if you're moving that fast sometimes and all the money in the world won't fix that. So yes, that said, right. you know, everybody should have the opportunity, you know, to be single on the road for eight weeks once, <laughs> at least once, at least once, uh, just so you know what it's like. Love is, is such a broad
0: emotion yeah. and an important one at that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going with love as well. Yeah. Good. Um, let's see. Pocket player or
1: pizzazz.
0: I, although I do like a little pizzazz now and then, you know, you know, I, you know, I, I think it's time to medium. embrace
1: the healing power of and. Right.
0: Yes. All right. Social darling or socially distant Dan.
1: Socially distant Dan. Really? You don't seem like that. I know it's uh, you're getting interview, Brian, to a, a certain okay. extent, <laughs> uh, it, because uh, I, I understand that I understand that this is a thing that you you know uh, unless you're like the world's most unbelievably you know naturally talented person that you know every single thing that you do is so blinding genius that people are going to come running after you to hear what you do no matter what you do i'm not that person you have to get out there and talk about yourself and do interviews and make a public presentation i mean i'm not like you know a complete jekyll and hyde as soon as you turn this off i just you know go hide in a cave for six months but I live in the middle of nowhere and I don't really go out that much. And I spend a lot of time in nature and hiking and doing things by myself. I need a lot more alone time. I've noticed than most people.
0: Huh? That's healthy. It's cool. At that's, least you that's know one I way to recognize. look at it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you recognize it. What about you? you know.
0: I am. I'm a little bit of both, man. Yeah. Um, you know, I have four boys and my wife, so I'm, um,
1: that's, um, it's kind of hard to be like yeah a, a loner I, I enjoy, in the middle of a scene like that
0: yeah i enjoy being around people yeah. um you know it's probably it may seem weird but the moments that i i like to be by myself are mostly on tour you know uh, oh, oh i totally get that rare moments where you can get away by yourself and just kind of regroup those are kind of my moments but otherwise man i, I enjoy people yeah so well dude what uh give me some of your social media stuff to, to sure. give everybody
1: uh it's 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 pretty easy uh on uh on facebook it's brian beller base on instagram it's brian beller base on twitter it's brian beller and that's spelled b-r-y-a-n-b-e-l-l-e-r uh oh, thank you for that and the website is brian beller.com and i'm not on tiktok and (laughs) (laughs) what else am i not on i don't know i don't know i think i'm at least too old for TikTok. i'm i'm already yelling at clouds about this stuff i i can see uh (laughs) and uh yeah that's it you know i mean i have a a youtube is 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 brian beller based i think anyway i'm you know you got it all i was an early adopter of of social media and uh okay cool i remember the the glory days before things before everybody realized that it was actually all super weird and, right. uh, and, uh, yeah, because part of being in this business, and I know I kind of said this before, but I'll say it in a different way. Part of being in this business is you do have to tell people what you're up to. You just, Truth. it's just part of the deal. You know, and, there's a lot of jobs out know, there where, where people, it doesn't matter whether people know what you're doing, but this isn't one of them.
0: Yeah. And I always feel uh, a little awkward with it. I'm sure everybody else does too, because yeah. it kind of feels like you're bragging a bit,
1: but how else are they going to know? That, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, we, used to, we used to remember hanging uh, concert flyers? Yeah. On telephone I poles? Yeah. I, I used to do that. You know, we all had ways of trying to, or handing out flyers in school. We all did that, right? Because you got to tell people about what you're doing in order to get them in the show. If they like what they see, then maybe they'll come back and you won't have to try as hard the next time, but you got to start somewhere.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
1: Dude, thank you so much. For
0: coming on here thank you this what a what very a cool
1: honor it is to meet you i mean you're you're a oh, ridiculous dude. player how come oh, you didn't pick you up so you didn't pick up an instrument once this isn't fair because <laughs> <laughs> i want to hear you
0: play man oh come on um <laughs> i really appreciate you coming on here and i would love to do it again Um, everybody please make sure you check out brian and his music and when he's out there on the road go check him out and dude
1: Much love to you, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dunlop. Thank you to everybody who's listening. And uh, yeah, be safe out there. We'll see you soon on a loud stage, hopefully sometime soon.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you, Face Freaks, for listening in. Please stay healthy. Spread kindness, love, good vibes, inspiration. And remember, you got this. Follow your path and just play. Until next time. Cheers.